0: You know, story is the way that God chose to reveal Himself to us. He could have chosen any other way, but He chose story because it communicates to both the young and the old. To both the traditionalist and the modern person. To both the literate and the illiterate. You know, facts are important. It's important for us to know that the capital of Mississippi is Jackson. (laughs) Maybe we didn't know that. It's important to know that water freezes when it reaches 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's not as important to know that LSU has now beaten Mississippi State 14 straight years. But facts kind of miss the mark when we start talking about the weightier things in life. I could tell you that the Civil War was fought between 1861 and 1865 and that there were hundreds of thousands of men that lost their life. But it doesn't come to life until you hear the stories, visit the battle sites, or even watch a reenactment in a film called Glory starring Denzel Washington. And even in our Christian walk, isn't that even more true? I mean, I could tell you the fact that God loves you and that you matter to Him. But still, story is what speaks to our heart. Facts speak to our mind. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Jesus understood this. Jesus, the most intelligent man that ever lived, chose story as a way to reveal himself to us. A sower went to sow some seeds. A man fell by robbers at the side of the road. What if a woman with ten coins loses one? That's the way that Jesus taught because he understood the importance of speaking to the heart. John Eldridge, a writer says that there are three eternal truths with every good story. The first is, things are not as they seem. There's more to this than meets the eye. The second is, in a good story there's always a conquest or a battle or some kind of struggle that we're going through. And there's always an antagonist. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is John 10.10. And the second part of that says, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. And sometimes I'm bad about glossing over the first part of that verse that says the thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. And it's important for us to understand that the world is at war. And the third truth, he says, is that we, me and you, are essential to the story. We can look back on the stories that God shares with us through the Bible, but it's a continuation of that through us and through the journeys that He takes us through. And so today, I want to pray along with Paul and echo that sentiment that I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened as we share some stories from those among us.
1: I grew up in a little mining town in Northern California called Grass Valley in between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe. I grew up in a non-Christian home um, with parents who really loved me but um, didn't love each other and so I grew up hearing a lot of yelling and fighting and screaming every day of my life.
2: My name is Walter Donald. I came to Fondren Church. In September of 2011, only because I had a friend of mine that wanted me to jump out of an airplane with him and go skydiving, and you've never seen a guy pray so hard for his parachute not to open as I did that day. I was as sad, depressed, broken a man as you will ever meet in your whole life, and I really felt like I had nothing left to live for in this life. You restore
3: every uh, the two of us were married really young. Broken. Through that time, we got to know each other. We ended up going to college together and fell in love, as a lot of college kids do, and got married.
1: I was introduced to the church at um, somewhat of a young age. And it wasn't really until my freshman year of high school, however, that I really came to know who Jesus was and um, started to fall in love with the Lord.
2: I came to Jackson, Mississippi on December the 12th of 2010, and I was literally strapped to a gurney, chewing an IV out of my arm in a state of alcoholic dementia that not only almost cost me my life, but literally almost drove me completely insane
1: church that I was going to was very, very, very um, extreme in a lot of its rules. They didn't believe that women should be in any sort of ministry position at all and have anyone else to turn to or anyone else to ask because my parents didn't believe any of the things that I believed in.
3: Uh, We were married nine months after we started dating. And for the first two years of our marriage, it was, I'd say, rocky. Uh, We were both working full-time, we were both going to college full-time, we were trying to figure out what marriage life was all about, and needless to say, about two and a half years in, we found ourselves uh, staring at separation and later divorce.
2: When I was out of college in 1999, I had a head-on car wreck with this woman, and I still had to work 60 and 70 hours a week, but I had a very severe spinal injury so the doctor started writing me narcotic pain medication as freely as i wanted it all the time and i took it all the time and traveled constantly and ate pain
1: medication constantly and so when it came to try to figure out what college i wanted to go to i really 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 knew that i wanted to go to a christian university and those conversations with my parents were really really tough because they, for the most part, think that Christians are nice people, but that they're hypocrites and very judgmental.
3: Throughout the first couple of years, our mayors decided that I wanted to get into coaching college basketball at the highest levels, and so as a part of that, I decided I'd work some summer basketball camps, and that took me from Michelle for weeks at a time during the summer. It uh, wasn't necessarily living right; was being a college kid uh, while I was married.
2: I was the scholar-athlete of the year my senior year in high school. I didn't do drugs or drink. I graduated high sp- uh, college with a master's uh, in accounting. Uh, I got a CPA license. I married my high school sweetheart. I'd never been in trouble. I was not an out-of-control partier. And I just did not think that there was any way a guy like me who looked like me Walked like me, had a family life like I had, could possibly ever be an addict. I was a junkie, and I just didn't think it was possible to happen.
1: Yeah, when I was in college, I one of, my, one of the biggest struggles for me was uh, being in this mode of comparison. Probably about ninety percent of the people that were um, that were at my college had come from really loving, really supportive Christian homes.
3: I had a couple friends who could tell that I was frustrated and could tell I wasn't being the husband I was supposed to be. And they sat me down and kind of, had, I guess would say, had an intervention. And I didn't know that it was going to be an intervention, so it put me over the edge. And that night, after the meeting with my friends, I called Michelle and asked her, did you know about this intervention? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm gone. And so that that night, I went home, I packed my stuff, and I left.
2: And the deeper I got into the addiction, and the longer it lasted, the more it consumed me in my life. It cost me my marriage, relationships with my family, siblings.
4: Seeing that you know we both grew up in broken homes, and you know got married, saying that that was never going to happen with us, and seeing that it was um, during the time where you know he finally decided to leave. I didn't have any idea how to handle any of that or what was going to happen, Um, and I was really hurt and scared, Um, and he showed up finally one day with the divorce papers at the door and just felt helpless, like there wasn't anything that I could do to stop all of it.
1: Um, Everyone else who was writing papers, they got all of their feedback and they were able to do interviews with family and friends that they had grown up with. Um, I found kind of like resources who knew the word. And I didn't have anyone like that that I could turn to because my parents were not believers.
2: One of the other things that's a real defining part of my story is that I had to spend more than seven months in a Buckham County detention facility locked up because I committed around a dozen counts of uh, felony financial fraud. Tainting property by false pretense, financial identity theft, uttering forged instruments. And it was because I had an addiction to pain pills and cocaine that I could not pay for without stealing.
3: I had a brother who died drunk driving when I was 11 years old. He uh, had helped raise me. I was a son of a single mother. And my brother died when I was 11 and it kind of rocked my world. And that night that we got divorced, I got a call from my brother's best friend. I'd never, I hadn't talked to my brother's best friend in probably 10 years since the funeral of my brother. And he told me that i needed to read a couple books the five love languages and uh, wild at heart uh, it was like my brother was kind of telling me um, that i needed to do this and it was kind of watching out for me
1: and so i was really really forced in college to struggle with the word and the word alone and i researched and i would ask anyone who would listen i would call my pastors and my professors and. But I think it was really during college, like because I did not have parents who believed in the Lord and who loved who Jesus was, I was forced to make my own family and define who those people were surrounding me.
2: When I came into the doors of Fondren Church, I only came because my parachute opened that day. And I told my friend that I would come. so we pour out our praise We pour out our praise It's your breath In our lungs So we pour out our praise To you
4: only
0: I'm gonna ask Walter and John and Michelle and Emily to come up, and um, I want you to hear the rest of their story. You know, when I was growing up, for those that are my age, uh, one of the most uh, listened to radio programs was Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. Today, we want you to hear what they have to say and what God's doing in their lives. I want to thank them for uh, doing this. I tell you, it, uh, it's not easy sometimes to be that transparent and to share kind of what God's doing with you. But we think it's important that they share and that you hear um, so that maybe you can walk away a little bit different. I'll start with Emily. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the South and from Mississippi, and many of us here um, grow up in, in, in homes of faith and with Christian parents. Many of us don't, but most of us do. So tell us kind of um, how you experienced that, and some, some of the obstacles that you saw as you were growing up in California.
1: So my parents um, have always thought that Christians are good people and that they do good things, but they just really don't agree with a lot of the hypocrite things. They're very, very liberal, and so all they like when they think of Christianity, they think of anti-gay, anti-abortion, like anti-women in leadership, like anti-feminism, all of those anti-words, and they haven't been able to see like who Jesus is, and. So, unfortunately, that's been a lot of the struggle in their personal lives, and so they just never were interested in church. And thankfully for me, I grew up with some really great friends who were Christians and who had Christian homes. And so one of my best friends, Carolyn, invited me and my family to church in about third grade, and we decided to go. And um, I wanted to keep coming because I had friends there. My mom got busy, and my sister was made fun of a lot in the church, unfortunately, and so they had no interest to continue going, because I had good friends there, I kept on going. Um, and my parents were supportive of me because they knew that I was doing good things at church and hanging out with nice people, but they just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And, um, yeah, what else did you
0: want to say? Okay. So tell them a little bit about how you came to know who Jesus was and kind of the struggle you had between that and, and kind of what the church was teaching.
1: So when I was 14, I had my little 14-year-old world was coming apart. I had broken up with my boyfriend, who I really liked, and because of that, had like separated myself from all of my friends. And my parents, they fought all the time, and they were, they were always yelling at each other. The, the only reason they didn't get a divorce was because they cared for me and my sister and didn't want to separate us. Um, but when I was 14, they finally like hit a breaking point and they said, that's it. Like, we're going to get divorced. We're moving into a new house because we need a bigger house. And when we move, dad's just not going to come with us. And it was at that point that my, the church that I was going to really like took me in and loved on me and showed me scripture. And I had a mentor. And they really just started to point out, like, who Jesus is and that he doesn't want us to do things on our own. And it's the first time that I really thought about Christianity as a relationship with Jesus and not just a church that you show up to on Sundays. And with that, my parents um, were supportive of it, but they just didn't understand. And, again, like, the farther that I dove into my church, the kind of more separated I got from my parents because my church had a lot of rules. And... I mean, a lot of things that now looking back on, like I don't agree with and it's not the type of church that I would choose to attend, but that's all that I knew. And I didn't have parents or anyone who was training me up to like look in the word on my own. So whatever my church said, I agreed with and um, with my parents, they didn't understand that. And so they um, kind of thought that I had, I had now become one of those hypocritical, judgmental Christians that they didn't like. And it wasn't really until college that that started to change in my heart.
0: Okay, so you had an experience at college, and you kind of got to understand more of really what 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 Jesus was about, what Christianity was about, not the rules. Without without a lot of the rules. Well, mm-hmm. well tell me now, kind of circle back to your parents, and kind of talk about kind of where you are with them now and your faith.
1: Yeah. So my parents, um, I forgot to mention this last service, did end up did not end up getting a divorce. Still not sure why it just kind of wasn't talked about anymore. Like we moved into a new house, and my sister and I thought dad wasn't coming, and then he. He did, he came, he moved in, and we didn't ask any questions, and it just kind of lasted. And um, My sister went went through a really, really, really hard time a few years ago, and she started to go to counseling, and because of that, my parents went to counseling, and um, they only went once, but my dad started to go on his own, and I don't know what happened. It was a Christian counselor, um, but so I think the Lord really has been working on his heart a lot, and he i don't know something happened in his heart when he was going through that counseling time where he totally changed his temperament my dad used to yell all the time every single day didn't matter who was around or who was hearing and now he is like the sweetest teddy bear and he is so kind and so loving and so supportive and so i think the lord absolutely has been doing work on his heart and my moms as well they just haven't acknowledged it yet um and I'm really excited because they're actually, they're coming to visit in Mississippi in two weeks and they're going to be coming to Fondren. So I'm excited for y'all to meet them and get to love on them.
0: Okay, great. All right, let's move to John and Michelle. We, we kind of left y'all's story hanging. So why don't you tell us what happened next?
3: Uh, in the video it mentioned uh, I got a phone call the night of our divorce. It was January 23rd, 2006. And that morning it started to snow. Uh, I went out that night to plow. I was working as a landscaper, and in the winters you plowed. And got the phone call. Um, the coincidence, God thing, was that the pastor that married us, Michelle, and some others had been telling me to read those same two books. Um, and in the midst of my rebellion, the last person I really wanted to hear from was Michelle or people that had married her, married us, or people that were trying to get me to do right. Um, and that's why I said in the the video that I think my brother was looking down uh, looking down on me, because that was really the only person I probably would have heard from. Um, and so I read those books, uh, and as I read them, I thought, well, shoot, I probably should have read these books a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but it was too late, and she was gone. I'd done a lot of damage. I'd done a lot of really bad things, and I was... Starting down the path of a destructive lifestyle, I was drinking a lot. Um, I was kind of turning into what I'd always said I would never become uh, because of my brother. And Anyway, over the course of a year, God just kept working on me and kept working on me uh, for whatever reason. Just his grace just kept, as much as I was trying to screw up, he kept working on me. And a year later, the following January, uh, January 6th, my best friend who I grew up with, Uh, lived with his family at times, was getting married. I was the best man, and Michelle was uh, a bridesmaid. And it was the first time that we were really going to be around each other uh, since the divorce. And so naturally, I prayed that this would be an open door, that God would use it. Uh, And as you can imagine, Michelle prayed the opposite. that, uh, (laughs) That Not necessarily that it wouldn't be an open door, but that there wouldn't be drama associated with it, that uh, the weekend would be about our friends, that it wouldn't be about us. Uh, So many, as young college kids, you can imagine just a breakup, a 14-year-old breakup. You can imagine what a divorce looks like in a a group of college friends and the back talking and the backbiting and just the hurt that each of us had. And so we went into that wedding weekend kind of with different ideas and Kind of at the end of it, Michelle sent me a text the next day, the following Sunday, and said, hey, I had a good time this weekend. Thanks uh, for all your help, and I hope you're doing well. And God answered my prayer, not hers. Um, <laughs> no. well, so. Well, so tell us, Michelle, <laughs> kind of what was going
0: on with you then.
4: Well, like he said, I really just wanted to move on in life, I guess. I, of course, uh, cared a lot about him and um, wanted the best for him, but I was ready to kind of move to the next chapter and um there is no other way to explain what happened other than just God really changed my heart in in that weekend um and I never ever expected that to happen I was hurt um and n- never thought that uh forgiveness or even reconciliation was ever even a possibility um but God can do anything um so much more than we ever expect, and bring good out of uh, bad and hurt, um, and that's what he did with us. I mean, it wasn't um, an over overnight process, but um, through the reconciliation process, we worked through a lot of stuff. And walking through um, the baggage that we had together with um, prayer and um, supportive uh, people around us, you know, was able to. Get to forgiveness.
0: What did your friends think? What were they saying?
4: They thought I was crazy. They all thought I was crazy, Um, and that's why I, when I started, uh, we got together the first night to talk, and then immediately I thought, oh my gosh, people are gonna just think I'm nuts because I've been saying all this stuff about him and sharing how much he's hurt me, and now I'm going to spend time with him. (laughs) but there wasn't any other explanation except that God showed me that he had done a work in John and he had done something in me too. Um, in just allowing me to believe in the possibility that he has changed and that God could change a person and make something new out of our relationship.
0: What happened next, John?
3: Um, so we went through the, that night we had pizza and we cried and, um we, we we did a lot of we did a lot of soul searching. Um but over the next ten months we reconciled and we actually it's funny, the first time we got married we dated for nine months and then reconciliation lasted almost eleven, so um we reconciled a little bit longer, which I I guess was good. We got remarried and now we're here in Jackson. Okay. One thing I would say I, I just as Topher was singing, one thing that hit me and resonated um During the process of the year that we were separated, there's a song called Praise You in the Storm, and something that I, with my brother dying, so much going wrong in my life, I grew up with a very negative outlook on God, even though I was in a Christian home, and I'd always be like, man, why why is God doing this to me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And that song spoke to me, and today we just uh, sang a song about Through the Storm, uh, He is Lord. And I learned during that time to praise God during storms, um, to try to learn a lesson from them. And I think that was when the real change in my heart came, when I started to praise Him in the storm, instead instead of feeling like a victim. Um, so I just wanted to share that. After I thought when was saying that, I thought it was a really neat kind of to where we've been.
0: Okay, Walter. I'll, I'll, I'll forget the first time I met Walter back here uh, at the bar in the back. He was sitting in that chair right in front of it or either right behind it. And that's been two years. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, your story is very dramatic. So so tell me, in some words, you know, what kept you coming back and, and what got you in the first place? I mean, you shared a little bit of that, but but tell us a little bit about that.
2: Right. Just a, really a simple invitation from a friend of mine to come and, and see the Sunday service and... I guess more than anything, the message that Robert had that day was about hopelessness. I mean, I was a hopeless person at that point. I I shared earlier, I was the internal audit manager for a a 17-branch, quarter-of-a-billion-dollar publicly traded financial institution. And seven months later, I was a homeless ex-drug addict walking out of a detention facility with zero possessions in the world. And that was in 2004, so I'd been working all these years to kind of rebuild my life, and I I just, I I slid into the, I guess, the pit of alcoholism. And uh, that process just really, when I came out of the other side of it, I I just felt like I can't do this again. I cannot just pick myself up and rebuild my life from scratch the way I had done before. And uh, I, I just, I left here with such a light heart from Robert's message, and it just seems like, Every, the longer I've stayed and and become a part of the church, and i just seen so much humble service. Like so many people willing to do so many things to just be of humble service to other people that it just really opened my heart up to the idea that uh, I was just such a selfish, arrogant person who really thought the world owed me something instead of me owing the world something. And it just, that change of perspective really... Uh, move my heart in a in a profound way.
0: Tell us a little bit about how your small group has impacted you and those people that that you've gotten to yeah. know through that.
2: And and that's what it comes down to is is the people that I've met. Um, I mean, I'll start with the small group, but. Uh, you know, Gary, you and Gay were as big a part of my story in Fondren Church as any. Y'all opened your hearts and your home and just showed so much love to me and so many other people. And you do so many things for so many people here in this church. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and Gay. Honestly, I would have probably never stuck around because y'all were just so
0: open. Sure, Yeah, you would. You'd have been all right. Oh, and, go ahead. Go uh, go ahead. I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> I
2: mean that. And then, And then it was just all the people I met. Like my small group was just full of these amazing people. Uh, this group of young men, um, I shared earlier, you know, I'm 10 years older probably than, than the oldest guy in there, and I'm definitely the only one who's ever been locked up. <laughs> uh, and just their, their walk with God and this discipleship to the teachings of Christ and the way they lived their lives and how they treated other people and, and just the open arms and love they showed for me was, uh, I mean, it was a huge part of me being here at Fondren Church and staying around. Um, I shared earlier the the Teach for America group. All the girls, Emily Hood and all the guys that do Teach for America and just, you know, they left their families, their whole lives, everything they knew to come to Jackson or Hazelhurst, Mississippi and teach in one of the poorest, most difficult to teach in school systems, not just in Mississippi but in America. Uh, And that kind of selflessness just inspired me to really want to change Change how I lived my life because, I, again, I just felt like the world owed me a living. Um, the people that I met through the church that aren't necessarily members here, but Ruth Ann Moss and uh, Emily Harden and uh, Kyle and Katie Howe and all the great work that they do here in the Fondren area, just right outside their door. You know, I didn't have to go looking for God to give me some way to be of service to other people. It was right in front of me every day, and all I had to do was answer the call.
0: You know, uh, many of you have heard about the work we do with Red Door and some other churches in the the area. They meet here on Tuesday nights through the school year, and people mentor students. And Walter has been a huge part of that. In fact, uh, one of the neighborhood families that have started coming to church here, you probably know John and Cedric um, and and their family. Um, They're without a father. I was talking to their mother um, a couple of weeks ago in the SIP. Her name's Sandra, and uh, she was just thanking me for the opportunity that that family's had. And she shared with me that um, when things go wrong, um, when they need someone to help them make a decision, when uh, there's some discipline at school, she calls Walter, and Walter goes. And so that's a powerful thing. Uh, Emily has uh, not only... uh, uh, gotten involved here, but she's starting to lead in our, small, in our small group area in the singles. I mean, she's done an amazing job of uh, helping and leadership in that area to where now we have about seven groups that she manages and, uh, and a whole bunch of singles that come on Wednesday nights. Um, but I want to go back to John and Michelle just real quick and, and you know, tell us your small group experience because it wasn't here. Because we don't want you to, to leave here thinking, hey, this only happens at Fondren Church, because it doesn't. It happens anywhere that you find community and people around you that you can share life with. And uh, so so share a little bit about when you got here and kind of how you got involved in a small group as we as we tie this up.
4: Okay. Um, we moved here and had absolutely no idea uh, where to go to church and kind of just picked one out, which happened to be right down the road from where we lived. Um, drove up and... Uh, thought it was just way too big. Um, I said immediately, We will never be coming back here before we stepped in the door. Uh, but God had something else in plan for us um, and really um, just reaffirmed that we were supposed to be in Mississippi um, and specifically were there to meet uh, the people that we were paired in small group with, that He had handpicked those couples out for us to become our family here away from home. Um, And they have been those people for us. Um, The very first night that we met everyone, we were with Robert and Susan Green, and the get to know you question was, tell us um, your worst moment in your life and the best moment of your life. And of course, for both of us, it's the same story. And so we shared that, and after 15 minutes of meeting us, we were all crying, and I mean, they still gave us a chance and um, loved us anyway. But they really came around us as a family, Um, and those couples um, just mean more to us than we could ever tell anybody. But they're all here um, in Fondren Church now and are still part of our family. We're all kind of separated in different small groups now because it's time to move on. But (laughs) they, um, when we had our daughter um, three years ago, uh, were our family in that You know, I was in labor and they were all there and wanted to be there. They were in the waiting room. They all came in to see us. They all came to share in the joy and they took care of us afterwards with um, meals and um, actually paid our rent, if you can believe it. Took care of us um, more even than our own family did. Um,
0: Tell us about Gracie's name.
4: Our daughter's name is Gracie Rain Aiken. Um, Rain, as you know, rain falls from the sky. John and I really love a lot of songs, and um, even though we can't sing, uh, (laughs) um, lyrics really speak a lot to us. And one of the songs that um, was really popular when we got back together and were reconciling is um, Grace Like Rain by Todd Agnew. And um, it's one that we just really loved. And when we were reconciling, um, I said, if we ever have a daughter, maybe we should name her Gracie. Um, but it wasn't until I was pregnant um, three years ago that we were trying to figure out her name, and that song came on the radio, and it just clicked for both of us. And she um, really is a blessing to us and just um, proof that um, God can give grace to all of us or does give grace to all of us, and she's that reminder for us.
0: Powerful. Y'all give him a hand for being here today. You know, we've, we've, we're in the middle of this three-week series called Come to the Table. And we think it's important for us as believers to get into community with people around the table and share life. And it's our prayer today that by experiencing this, that you might be motivated, or we might give you permission to be able to share your story with other people that need to hear it. Because it, we're all a part of the story. Each one of us here today is as important part of this church and the church as anybody else. Some of us might not be on a mountaintop right now. Some of us might be in the valley. But as you see, God works through that. But, but, but we do not want you to leave here today without hearing this, that there is a God that loves you unconditionally. And whether you need reconciliation, or you need redemption, or you have obstacles in your life, God is there to provide His love for you. And we hope that you, you hear, that, hear that today. Next week is going to be a really, really important time in the life of our church. Robert's got a very special message to share as we finish this series, Come to the Table. Please come. And tell those that might not be here to come too. And, and this will be up on the website uh, in the next couple of weeks. So if someone missed a day, tell them to listen. Because we need to hear about each other's stories. So um, I will to ask Topher and the guys to come up. As we prepare to go into um, a, just a time of reflection. and time of commitment. So if y'all could kind of stand with me. Pray with me. God, we are so thankful again that You allow us to come to the place where we can be transparent with each other, where we can share our story for those that need to hear it. God, we pray that through this opportunity of seeing into the hearts of these people today, that You stir something up within us. so powerful that we understand that you can overcome anything in our life that we're experiencing Lord, I thank you for these special people that have become transparent. I pray a blessing upon them. I'm just so thankful for their willingness. God, I know there's people in this room that are experiencing things now that are tough. They're trying to figure out where you are in all of this. And I just pray that you might speak to them in a very powerful way today. And that we all might encounter your love in such a way as we leave here, we're new and different and changed. And as Walter said, we can see some light in this dark, dark place we live. come to you now this time in your name you pray as we sing I'm going to be at the front if anybody um, needs to be prayed with or needs to share something with we'll be here the mic will be turned off I'm going to ask Will and Molly if they'll make their way up to the front Will will be on this side Molly will be on this side so if you have something to share please come and share it Uh, or let us pray for you we would love the opportunity the tougher ladies one.